Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Talking about uh, prejudice and in these ways that uh, we invent up stories about people and start to define people before we really get to know them. Um, I just want to have an incredible moment of real transparency with all of you. There has not, in my memory, I can't think of another series or sermon that has just been more uncomfortable to to talk about than this. It's a difficult subject to uh, talk about, as I'm sure you've had um, conversations with people in the community, friends, neighbors, maybe family members, as you've talked about this. You you know, you always want to make sure you say things right and get it right. and so let me just help you imagine that and then, you know, trying to talk to a whole bunch of people um, about that. And then, but also at the same time, not getting any feedback. So just hoping that everything that I've said is, is what I hope it is. And it's being received the way I hope it is going to be received. So uh, I guess I want to just, this, we'll just lay out a disclaimer. I'm going to do my best. Um, and I think that if you've been with us long enough, that you should know that my heart is really to see God's heart Uh, come and his love become our love and for us as individuals to come together despite uh, differences that we might have and to really embrace a united picture of the church as we see in the book of revelation that includes all people together in christ and so that's that's what i want that's what i want to communicate that's what i want to inspire and encourage us as a church and individuals to um and I'm saying all that right now to sort of maybe take a little pressure off to say this. If I get something wrong or you hear it wrong, uh, feel free to shoot me an email or give me a call and say, hey, you said this. I think you meant to say this, um, but here's how it came across. I'd be very open to hearing that because I know that I'm not a perfect person. Um, or you could send me an email and say, you said this, and I have no idea what you were trying to say. Um, so help me out. Um, I'd be glad to respond to that too. Um, But today I want to look at a particular text of Scripture because I think it has a lot to do with with how we get past prejudice, how we really open up the door to allow God's love to come in and do some amazing things in our lives. Um, Because prejudice is one of those things, it's a a trap that, that, that traps people into boxes that don't fit anyone. A prejudice is sort of like those shirts that they say it's one size fits all, but it's one size fits none. You know what I'm talking about? The kind that, you know, it doesn't fit anybody. Um, The hat that doesn't fit anybody, but, you know, it's the only size that they make. That's what a prejudice is. It's just sort of this mental box that, you know, you put uh, people, you know, maybe it's based on race or class or gender or whatever. You sort of put them all into this box and you say, well, this is, you know, this clearly is is whoever these people are. Uh, And it doesn't fit anybody. Now, today, you know, we are thinking a lot in terms of prejudice, in terms of race, but the ancient Jewish uh, forefathers and mothers of our faith, 
they would think of this not just in terms of race, although they definitely had racial tension, and we see that in the book of Acts, we see that in the early church, uh, and they're able to overcome that with the power of Christ. But we also see that they have this prejudice about folks that are born um, without maybe all of their limbs functioning properly or all of their senses functioning properly. You know, if you were born during this time, the time of the early church, the time of Jesus, and you were blind, then that was clearly because your parents were so sinful that God just had to pass judgment on them and onto you. Or if you were born and maybe your hand was shriveled or, or something like that, um, then that was clearly God's judgment on you. Or maybe uh, the text we're going to look at today, we've got this guy who's born and it says that he's not able to walk. And because he's not able to walk, you know, everybody looks at him and goes, well, see, you know, this guy is just so sinful that God brought this judgment on him. Um, they had no idea that, you know, there's DNA, genetics, biology, you know, uh, damage that can happen to, to a baby inside of the womb. They had none of these ideas. They just had the spiritual idea that if you were born with some sort of physical, you know, um, maladjustment, this defect, however the right way to say that is, if you were born with that, then, then what ended up happening is they just said, well, man, that was God, you know, judging you. So maybe this guy, he's not able to walk because God knew he was just going to walk right into trouble. And so, you know, he took that away from him, and that's how bad this person is. This is sort of the prejudice that they have. So anytime they see somebody, whereas they look at them from the outside, they don't know their heart, they don't know their mind, they don't know anything about them, they just look at them from the outside, they see that they don't, you know, they're not quote-unquote normal, then they go, oh man, well that's because they are sinful, they're bad people. That's sort of the story. And so we see this happening here in in Acts chapter 3. I want to pick up because they have an encounter with Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, early church leaders. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So we have this man here who's unable to walk. He is regularly brought to the temple, sat at this gate that's called the Beautiful Gate. Um, It was called the Beautiful Gate because it was the most, anybody want to guess, the most beautiful, man, see, it doesn't take a lot of, you know, anybody can be a Bible scholar. It's the most beautiful gate they had. Some of the gates were covered in gold. Some of them were covered in silver. This one in particular was made of Corinthian bronze. Its artwork was said to be so intricate and beautiful and fine that they didn't even cover it with gold or silver because they didn't want to take away from how beautiful the artwork of the gate was. And so this is the gate everybody would want to come in and go out of because it's the pretty gate to come into the place where you're going to go worship God. And so uh, whoever it is, maybe it's friends, maybe it's family, maybe it's just somebody he pays. You know, this guy gets sort of drug over there, sat at the gate, and then when it's time for prayer in the evening and the morning, he just sits there and he says, hey, do you, do you got some spare change? Do you have a dollar? Could you spare a buck? You know, hey, I, you know, that's what he's doing. He's asking for money. He's begging there at the gate to try to support himself and to pay for him. And, and the Jews at this point had a, a law that this was as far as this man could go. Because he is not permitted in the temple because he has this defect. The thinking goes that he has this defect because he's steeped in sin, and you can't take somebody steeped in sin, and you can't bring him into the temple into God's presence, because if you did that, then that would just sort of defile everything. And so he's got to stay outside. And so he stays outside while everybody passes him to go inside. 
And as such, he is there seeing everybody in the community. Everybody sees him. Everybody in the city of Jerusalem sees this guy, knows this guy. Now, he's ostracized not just because he can't, you know, walk, which, you know, that's a difficult enough uh, type of disability to have today. Uh, can you imagine before we had things like, you know, the ADA Act and, and other things that, that try to make accommodations for folks that, that have disabilities like this? This man, you know, He's not able to work. His life is difficult because of his physical condition. But any work that he might have been able to do sitting down, whether it was you know, sorting things or doing you know, whatever kinds of work that he could have found, maybe you know, that didn't require uh, you know, having to walk around, those jobs are close to him too because you don't want to bring this man who's cursed by God into your business because then what's going to happen? That curse of God's going to come into your business. That curse of God's going to come into your home. And so this man is completely pushed outside. He is an ostracized individual. He's disenfranchised, all because of the way that he looks from the exterior. People don't, you know, they can't see his heart. They don't know. They're not taking the time to talk to him. And it just reminds us that we all have prejudice, and they all take forms in different ways. You know, for them, that was for this, this man with a disability. Today, you know, again, we talk a lot about prejudice concerning race. You know, and it's here that we start to automatically disqualify maybe individuals based on race. Or we start to, again, like Renee Meyer says, you know, we make up stories about them before we get to know who they really are. You know, it can be a, a racial situation. That's absolutely happening regularly. You know, I grew up in California where there's a lot of, of racial tension between you know, uh, a lot of white folks and Latinos, uh, a lot of folks coming from Mexico there, and there's a lot of tension. And, you know, it's funny, a lot of these prejudices, if you really line them all up, you know, they're, they're completely absurd. Many of them don't make sense, and a lot of them disagree with each other. Because you might hear one individual say, well, you know, the reason I, I don't like folks from Mexico is because they've taken all of our jobs. And then out of the same breath, he'll say, you know, but everybody from Mexico is lazy. So, I mean, you know, like, like, which is it? You know, like, either they're working hard and they're taking everybody's job, or or they're all lazy and nobody's going to hire these. I mean, you know, you just you start to play with these things in your mind and wants to really think about it again because it's a one size fits none situation. You know, we have uh, prejudice, you know, issues as far as gender uh, is concerned. You, I mean, you don't believe me? You just looked at there's a pay gap. There's a pay gap in America. Uh, men, women getting paid very different things. Women paid less. Same job, same employer sometimes. Why is that? It's, it's an issue of prejudice. We just, we've got to acknowledge it. We've got to look at it. We've got to own it. We've got to know it. Uh, you know, it might be uh, an issue of, of maybe poverty, you know. It was not that long ago I was reading in the newspapers uh, as they were reporting on um, the situation of people experiencing homelessness around the library and some of the residents, and there's all sorts of conflict happening downtown. And, and I remember reading that phrase, people experiencing homelessness, and I thought to myself, that's a really long phrase to say the homeless. And then it dawned on me what I had just done. I said, oh, well, they're not defined by homelessness. These are people who are experiencing homelessness. This is the absolute right way to, to phrase this. Now, we might all say, well, this is an issue of semantics, but I don't know that it is. I think it really matters. Because if you've been here from in the end, when we have people experiencing homelessness come and be our guests in our church, and that's what we call them, our guests, uh, and you sit down at the table and you speak with these individuals, you find that they all have a unique story. They all um, have entered into this situation because of different reasons and different scenarios in their life. They've, many of them have had families and jobs. Some of them have been very successful. What brings this about? It's, it's a unique story. 
these are people. And that's what we have to do. And that's the thing. It's seeing people as people. It's truly seeing a person that breaks through our prejudices. Uh, Back to this man who's sitting here at this beautiful gate. I've thought about him quite a bit. The text tells us that he's been, in his age, he's over 40 years old, and that he has been unable to walk since he was born. So there's never been a day this guy could get up on his own two feet. So since he was born, he's been unable to walk, and he's over 40 years old. So at what point in time did he end up starting to beg? Is it maybe at this time, maybe 10, maybe 12? You know, about that point in time, he would have been, you know, independent guy. So for, what, 28, 30 years, he's been there begging? Now, there's something, let's just be real with each other for a second. We have people today ask for money, right? You know, they're on the side of the road, they've got a little change, you know, uh, all these signs, and you see them as you're coming up, you're driving down the road, what's sort of the first, like, rule of thumb is don't make eye contact, right? Don't look. If we don't make eye contact, then, then they're not going to think we're going to give them anything, and, and if we don't make eye contact, then maybe we won't feel so guilty, and if we don't make eye contact, then we won't see their eyes, and we won't really, you know, acknowledge them as, as a person, and they just sort of become off to the side. Don't make eye contact. Don't look. You know, can you imagine how this guy has felt? Because that's the same thing's happening in this time, I guarantee you. But they're not in cars, they're walking. It takes a little more time when you're walking past somebody instead of driving at 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour. So he would probably say, hey, do you have, you know, any spare change? Probably look at you long enough to make sure that you knew he was looking at you. But then, I mean, do you want to stare at rejection all day long? Probably not. And so he probably just puts his eyes down, puts his head down. I'm not going to look. And that's sort of the zone he lives in. Do you have any money? Do you have anything you can spare? And then just looks away. But Peter and John, they sort of break through this scenario. They get into a different setup. It says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. Look at me. Look at my eyes. I see you. Do you see me? Do you see me seeing you, I'm looking at you, Peter and John are saying. And so the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. You know, now this is turning into, there's a little bit of anticipation in this interaction, right? Because now he's not being ignored, he's being acknowledged, and now he's wondering what, you know, what might happen in this moment? You know, maybe I'm going to get some spare change. Maybe, maybe this guy's rich and he wants to make a show of it. Maybe he's going to give me a whole lot of money. You know, whatever it is, now there's something that's happening. There's some sort of anticipation because a personal human connection is now being made. Peter and John see him. They see him. And he sees them. You know, and it's love that really brings out the best in people, isn't it? You know, I think about Peter and his story, and it wasn't really but, what, maybe two months ago that, it, that Jesus was walking along a beach with Peter, and Peter had rejected Jesus three times and, and said, uh, you know, swore on oath, I don't know this man. And the text tells us that Jesus made eye contact with Peter as he's being led from one place to the other, and Peter sees this, and he knows that he's denied Jesus. And then, then you come to this fast forward after the resurrection, after Peter's denied Jesus, you know, they're walking along the beach, and I can imagine Peter's got his head down as Jesus asks him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And yet Jesus restores Peter in that moment. And now Peter sees this man who feels rejected, 
not just by people, but by God. I mean, can you imagine sitting outside the temple for 30 years? What do you do when as people are going in to talk to God and you're here with this incredible physical disability? Don't you think you'd pray at least for a few months, at least for a year? I mean, but isn't there something that happens after you pray for a decade for something or two decades for something or three decades for something and then nothing happens? Do you think that this man perhaps is going, oh my gosh, this temple wall is like a barricade. It is like this this prayer-proof barrier that is preventing God from hearing my prayers because if God could hear my prayers, he would have surely done something about this by now. Or maybe he's just so defeated about himself that he goes, of course God doesn't listen to me because I'm so filled and steeped in sin. This is where this man is living. And Peter and John say, look at me. And then here's what happens. It says, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. You see, here's what we see, that God's power heals people and communities. It does. Now, I know that this, you know, this story breaks down, and it's not true in all you know, prejudice situations. You know, um, not everybody needs healing. You know, I, I get physical healing. I, I get that. But I, I do know this, that we all need our hearts healed. I know that we all need our communities healed. I know that we all have things inside of us that we need healed, whether that's anger or resentment or guilt or shame, we all have healing that is isolating us from other people and that is causing division and fraction and conflict. We need that healing. And only Jesus is powerful enough to heal our hearts and unite our communities. Here's the part of the story. I've read the story so many times. I've missed the importance of verses 8 through 10. I want to show this to you. It says, he jumped to his feet and began to walk And read this next sentence with me. Then he went with them into the temple courts. You did a really terrible job. We just need to be honest with each other. Let's try again. Then he went with them into the temple courts. Now, we'll stop there because we've uncovered the secret right here. Um, any of my sentence diagramming friends know that one of the first things you do is you eliminate, it's called prepositional phrases, you remove those because that's not where the real meat is in the sentence, you know, the with, into, therefore, all these things. There's, there's two prepositions in here that are huge. The first one is with, and the second is into. He went with them. He's not gone with anybody anywhere. Do you, do you understand that? He's, he's been brought places by people. He's been dropped off by people, but he's never been into the temple with somebody. Nobody's ever said, hey, will you come work with me? Will you come walk with me? Will you come talk with me? That's not been an option for him. He's been ostracized. He's been excluded. He's been apart, but now he goes with Peter and John. It says he went with them, next word, into He's never been in the temple before. He stood outside the temple for 30 years. He's wondered what it looked like in the temple for 30 years. He's fantasized about what it would be like to go to the temple. never been into the temple before this day. He went with them into the temple. 
He enters into community. He enters into the symbolic presence of God, although clearly God was with him this entire time. He went with them into. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging. I'll bet they did, because for three decades they've walked past him at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. You see, God's power breaks out in this man's life, and now all of a sudden it heals this community. People are drawn into this this scene. People are drawn towards this man. They want to be with him also and ask him, how is it that God's power has come to you in such a miraculous way? Only God can do that. Only Jesus has the power to heal our hearts and to unite our communities. Friends, let me tell you, God wants to do this type of thing through us. He wants to do this kind of work through us, through compassion, through meeting people, through looking them in the eye, through doing what we can. But God really, he says, man, I want to show up and do an amazing healing work in people's hearts and in your communities. You see, this is sort of the sequence we've been through. You know, we talked about how diversity, it displays God's creativity, but unity shows his love. We've talked about how uh, God wants us to work towards equality, where essentially everybody has a fair shot. But today, we're taking it a step further, and we're saying, no, love pursues and chases after. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to us who had been ostracized and excluded from the kingdom of God. He sent Jesus to us to include us and to bring us in. And friends, those of us who have found Christ and received him are being commissioned to go to those who are left outside, locked outside, pushed outside for whatever reason and because of whatever prejudice to say God loves you. He wants to do an amazing work in your life, in our community, and he wants to heal our relationship. That's what God wants to do. We're going to sing a song here in a second, and I want to challenge us all as we sing the song to think of where is it that love is calling us to go? And not us, but maybe specifically you. Maybe you have a relationship in your family that needs healing. Maybe you have a relationship with your father or your mother or a son or a daughter that love needs to walk in. You need to see them and you need to find some healing there. Maybe for you... Maybe you've got some prejudice you're dealing with. And maybe it's, you know, about a coworker or a friend or somebody at your school. I don't know. And maybe love is saying, why don't you get to know this person? Look at them in the eye and say, hey, could we get a cup of coffee together? Could we talk? I'd just be interested to know your story. Who are you as a person? Because we're not going to get past the prejudice until we start to see people in the eye, look them in the eye for who they are. That's what God's done for us. So as we sing this song, we're going to celebrate that Jesus has come. We're going to celebrate that. And we're going to sing this as a prayer, asking that God would work through us what God's going to do. And that's this act of unity. Um, Some of you have never received Jesus. And if that's the case, man, I'd love to talk with you about what that would mean. I want to sit here. I'll be outside after service. Love to talk with you about that. But let's use this time right now as a time of prayer, as a time of worship, celebrating the fact that God has come in love for us, and asking God, where do you want us to go in love to reach others? Why don't you stand as we sing?